Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. This is day 47. Today we will be reading Book 11, chapters 21 through 26 in the Ascension edition of the book. We wanted to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has helped support this podcast financially. Your support is so appreciated and helps us to reach as many people as possible. And if you haven't already, please consider supporting us at ascensionpress.com support. Before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we're covering today. So as we're working through Book 11, as you well know, if you've tuned into the last couple episodes, St. Augustine is wondering, questioning, thinking about time. Uh, he's going to continue that today, and he's going to focus on the question of how do we measure time? So essentially, how, how does time pass, and how are we experiencing the passing of time? In the previous chapters, he agrees that time exists, and we can simply speak about past, present, and future. But remember that Augustine explains that the past no longer exists, and the future is yet to exist. So it's really only the present that exists. Today, Augustine will wrestle with the problem of measuring the present. The basic problem is this, the present has no duration or extension. It quickly runs into the past and sits with the future ahead of it. So if it has no duration or extension, if it's just kind of here and then gone and here and gone, how can we measure it? How can we know things about it? Okay, before we get into that, let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Chapter 21. I just said that we measure times as they pass so that we might be able to say this time is twice as much as that one or this one is equal to that other one and so on for any other parts of time that are measurable. Thus, as I said, we measure times as they pass. And if anyone should ask me, how do you know this? I might answer, I know that we do measure like this, nor can we measure things that do not have being and things past and future do not have being. But given that present time takes up no space, how do we measure it? It is measured while passing. But when it comes to pass, it is not measured, for there will be nothing to be measured. But where does it come from? Where does it pass through, and where does it go while it is measured? From where but the future, through where else but the present, and to where else but into the past? Therefore, from that which does not yet have being, through that which has no space, into that which now no longer is. Yet what do we measure if not time in some space? For it is only by speaking of spaces of time that we speak of single, double, and triple equal measures of time. In what space, then, do we measure time passing? In the future, from which it passes on through to the present? But we do not measure that which does not yet have being or in the present through which it passes. But we do not measure that which takes up no space, or in the past into which it passes, but neither do we measure that which now has no being. 
Chapter 22. My heart and mind are on fire to understand this most intricate enigma. Do not close it off, O Lord my God, good Father. Through Christ I beseech you. Do not close up these things which at once are so familiar, yet also so hidden. Do not close them off from my desires so that it would be hindered from piercing them. But let them dawn in the light of your mercy, O Lord. Whom shall I ask about these things? And to whom shall I more fruitfully confess my ignorance than to you, who find nothing troublesome in these my inquiries, which are so ardently kindled with desire to understand your scriptures? Give what I love, for I do love, and this you have given me. Give, Father, who truly knows how to give good gifts to your children. Give, for I have taken upon myself to know, and I remain troubled until you open this for me. By Christ I beseech you, in his name, Holy of Holies, let no man disturb me. For I believed, and therefore do I speak. This is my hope, and for this do I live, that I may contemplate the delights of the Lord. Behold, you have made my days old, and they pass away, yet I know not how. We speak about time, and time about times and times. How long a time has it been since he said this? How long a time has it been since he did this? How long a time has it been since I saw that? And this syllable takes up twice the time of that single short syllable. We speak and hear such words, and they are understood by others, and we ourselves understand them. They are so clear and ordinary. And yet these very same things are the same time all too deeply hidden, and the work of discovering this meaning is something quite extraordinary. Chapter 23 I once heard from a learned man that the movements of the sun, moon, and stars constituted time, but I did not agree to his assertion. For if that were the case, why then should not the movements of all bodies be times? Or if the lights of heaven should cease while a potter's wheel still turned round and round, would there be no time by which we might measure those turnings and say either that it moved at an unchanging speed, or if it sometimes turned slower and at other times quicker, that some rotations took longer times and other shorter times? And while we were saying this, would we not also be speaking in time? And if our words had some syllables that were short and others that were long, would this not be because the first sounded for a shorter time and the latter for a longer time? God grant that men might see in small things notice of things that are found both in things that are great and those that are small. The stars and lights of heaven are also for signs, seasons, years, and days. And yes, so they are. But neither should I say that the rotation of that wooden wheel is a day, nor, however, should that learned man say that this would mean that there is therefore no time in such conditions. I desire to know the power and nature of time by which we measure bodily movements and say, for example, that one motion is twice as long as another. And I ask, given that a day denotes not only the time when the sun remains shining over the earth, so that day and night are contrasted to each other, but also refers to the whole circuit of the sun from east to east again, so that when we say that a given number of days has passed, we include the nights in a given number of days, and do not count the nights separately. Yes, given that a day is completed by the motion of the sun and by its circuit from east to east again, I ask, does the motion alone make the day, or the interval in which that motion is completed, or both? For if motion makes the day, then we should have a day even if the sun were to happen to run its course in the small space of one hour of time. But if the interval is what makes time, then only if one hour separated two sunrises, there would not be a day, but instead the sun would need to run its course twenty-four times in order to complete one day. And if both are needed, then we could not say that a day has passed if the sun were to run its whole course in the space of an hour, nor if the sun stood still, while as much time should pass as the sun usually makes its whole course from one morning to the next. 
Thus, I will not now ask what that which we call a day is. Rather, my question is, what is time? By which we, measuring the circuit of the sun, say that it finishes in half of its usual time if it completes its round in merely twelve hours, and also declare, upon comparing both times, that twelve hours is a single period of time in twenty-four double. Even if we were to suppose that the sun might sometimes take twelve hours to run its course from east to east, and at other times double that. Let no man then tell me that the movements of the heavenly bodies constitute time, for when the sun stood still at the prayers of one man until he could achieve his victory in battle, yes, the sun stood still, but time went on. For that battle was waged and came to its end in its own allotted space of time. Thus, I perceive time to be a kind of extension, but do I perceive it or only seem to perceive it? You, light and truth, will show me. Chapter 24 do you bid me to agree when someone defines time to be bodily motion? No, you do not bid me to do so, for no body is moved except in time. This I hear, and you are the one who says it. But that the motion of a body would be time, this I do not hear. You do not say it. For when a body is moved, I measure by time how long it moves, and from the time it began to move until it stopped. Indeed, if I did not see, it begins its motions, and if it continues to move such that I will not see when it ends, I cannot measure it, except perhaps from the time I began to see it up to that time when I no longer do. And if I look at it for long, I can only pronounce it to be a long time, though not how long, for when we say how long, we do so by comparison, as when we say this is as long as that, or twice as long as that, or the like. But when we can mark the distances of the places from which and to which the moved body goes, or its parts, if it moves circularly as though upon a lathe, then we can say precisely how much time it took to finish the motion of that body or its part from this place to that. Therefore, since bodily motion is one thing, and that by which we measure how long it is, is another, who does not see which of these two should we call time? For if a body sometimes is moved and sometimes stands still, then we measure by time not only its motion, but also its standing still. And we say, it stood still as long as it moved, or it stood still two or three times as long as it moved, or any other space that our measuring has either ascertained or guessed, more or less, as one says. Thus time is not the motion of a body. Chapter 25 and I confess to you, O Lord, that I still do not know what time is. And again I confess unto you, O Lord, that I know that I say this in time, and that having spoken at length about time, that this length is long only because it is a period of time. How then do I know this, given that I do not know what time is? Or perhaps it is the case that I do not know how to express what I know. Woe is me who do not even know what I do not know. Behold, O my God, I do not lie in your sight. As I speak, so is my heart. You shall light my candle. Yes, you, O Lord my God, shall illumine my darkness. Chapter 26 Does not my soul most truly confess unto you that I do measure times? Do I then measure, O my God, and not know what I measure? I measure the motion of a body in time, and I do not measure the time itself? Or could I indeed measure the motion of a body, however long it might be, and in however long a space it might go from this place to that, without measuring the time in which it is moved? Therefore, how is it that I measure this time? 
Do we measure our longer time by means of a shorter as we measure a rod's length by using cubits? For indeed, we seem to measure the length of a long syllable by the length of a short one, and to say that one thing is double the other. Thus we measure the length of a poem by the length of its verse, and the length of the verses by the length of the rhythmic feet that make it up, and these rhythmic feet by the length of the syllables, and the length of long syllables by the length of short ones. Thus we do not measure in its pages, for if we did, we would measure space, not time. But when we utter the words and they pass by and we say a poem is long because it is composed of so many verses, verses that are long because they consist of so many feet, and feet that are long because they have so many syllables, a syllable that is long because it is twice the length of a short one. But neither do we obtain any certain measure of time in this way, for it could happen that a shorter verse pronounced more slowly may take up more time than a longer one pronounced hurriedly. This is true for a poem, a foot, and a syllable. Thus it seemed to me that time is nothing other than distension, but a distension of what I do not know, and I wonder if it be not of the mind itself. For what, I beseech you, O my God, do I measure when I say either indefinitely, this is a longer time than that, or definitely, this is double that. Yes, I know that I measure time, and yet I do not measure time to come, for it has not yet come nor do I measure time present, for it is not protracted by any space, nor do I measure time past, for it now has no being. What then do I measure? Times that pass by, but have not passed? Such have I said. All right, well, before we get into today's argument, I think it's worth reviewing yesterday's argument because it's a continuation. So if you don't remember, or if you tuned out, or if you didn't listen to yesterday's episode, fear not. So yesterday, Augustine came to the conclusion that the only thing that exists with respect to time is the present, as we've said. Neither the past nor the future have being. The past no longer is, the future is yet to be. So it's only the present that has existence. But this leads to another problem. How do we measure something that has existence, but that passes away into the past and looks into the future very quickly? You know, if it's just this moment in time, how do we measure it? How do we adjudicated, how do we work with it, that sort of thing. Um, the question is not, it's a scientific one, so to speak, but the importance of the question has a lot more to do with our relationship to God and God's relationship to us, who is an eternal present. So that's kind of the problem. That's the question that St. Augustine wants to get at. Father Gregory, usually I just let you say, or we just let each other say whatever we want, but I'm going to pose a question <laughs> to you and, and trap you in something. Is It seems to me, as we're walking through the confessions, it's not a novel observation. We're getting into the weeds on some things. Is this, I guess the question that that is kind of standing there is, what does it matter? Yeah. No, I think it's, it's interesting. I often will counsel people when discerning a vocation, when preparing for the sacrament of confession, when considering their conversion more broadly, not to falsify their human experience by making an experience of moments, but taking it kind of in the passage of time. So we as human beings, as we have described over the course of these past few episodes, live in the flow of time. And so there's a, a past, a present, a future, but also we experience our human lives like progressively or discursively to use some fancy language, which is to say that we possess them from moment to moment and we come to a fuller or deeper appreciation of who we are and what we're for as we mature. And so I think that, you know, when you're discerning a vocation or when you're preparing for the sacrament of confession or what, you know, like in some other way, kind of uh, mining your ongoing conversion for its intelligible content, there can be a kind of temptation to focus on a particular moment or experience like, what do I think now? Or what do I think now? Or what am I called to now? And that's not 
too terribly helpful because I don't think it adequately reflects our human nature, our human condition. I think it's good for us to have a sense like, okay, what was I thinking then? What am I thinking now? And then how do I connect those two points? Or what might the Lord be said to have done in the interval or you know, in the time between? Because I think that gives us a better sense for how the Lord is on the move with us and how the Lord is kind of plotting a path towards, yeah, a deeper or fuller appropriation of the Christian life. And so I think that St. Augustine, he's really drilling down on what time is and how we live in time because he wants to get clarity on it and he wants to suss out the details of, of what it means for us to be and to act. But like all of the specificity is in dialogue with ancient uh, philosophical traditions, which, um, you know, like think about time in terms of moments or think about time in terms of extension. And I think that he's kind of doing his his due diligence in entertaining all of the options. But in the process, he shows us who we are and then how we engage with what we've been given. So we mentioned in the last episode that there's a philosopher who like sets out a lot of these different paradoxes and says like, ooh, if you think about time in this way, it leads to all kinds of crazy notions. And I think that St. Augustine is taking us by the hand and leading us through similar meditations. So I think, yeah, we, we don't have to be overly concerned with whether or not we understand time as it's described in this Platonic paradigm or this Aristotelian paradigm. I, I wouldn't worry too terribly much about that. But I think it's good for us to envision ourselves, our lives, our Christian experience against the backdrop of time. And just to examine a bit with his meditations, how we live it and then how we might live it better. Yeah, we could we could kind of approach the problem and pretend there's not a problem or the question, pretend there's not a question like, oh, we just live, just leave it alone kind of thing. But as we've talked about throughout, there's we're called to more, we're called to know, we're called to broaden our expanse of, of our mind. And I think that's, you know, it's a good exercise at least. So, okay. It's important. We've, we've made it clear, I think, <laughs> right. I don't know. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. Um, so what St. Augustine does, as we've heard in the reading is that he looks, he, he sort of summarizes the problem by saying that time passes through the present. Um, it passes from the future through the present to the past. That, that makes sense well enough. And he uses examples to sort of understand that and, I would say, as I've said on a previous episode in this book, we need to adjust our expectations because he's not going to give the clearest of answers, you know, because he doesn't come to a clear conclusion. But he begins to use some examples as to like how it is that time might be measured. And he does so by using the example of syllables and speech, how when we talk, we can see kind of in a more what in a in a bigger way that words pass, right? We words pass one word to another, but we can also look at that in a sort of more microscopic level and see that syllables pass between each words. And we can speak more quickly or more slowly, or um, he talks about poetry and how the verse can change and the rhythm, you know, all of these things. So it's not really the greatest thing to measure time. He also then considers the motion of heavenly beings of, you know, the sun, the moon, stars, and wonders whether or not their motion constitutes time, because this is another thought, you know, Father Gregory mentioned some of the sort of the thoughts, the ancient thoughts, there, philosophical thoughts. And he says, well, that can't be the defining of time of the motion of time, because we can also say when planets aren't moving or when objects aren't moving and measure that length of time. So he, he kind of finds himself at, I don't know, at an impasse and trying to use something in the created world as that which gives time its life, I guess, if that makes sense. I don't know, Father Gregory, what are you, as you're reading through and listening through these examples and what he's trying to do, what are, what are you kind of sifting out of this? Yeah, so with the philosophical examples, uh, the ancients were concerned to find uh, like a kind of place, as it were, for the cosmos, because 
we said that time is the measure of motion and motion motion can take different forms you know like you can get bigger or smaller or you can get redder or whiter or you can get from here to there from there to here whatever it is you know there's different ways in which to be on the move uh, but but they were concerned to find a setting or a framework or a context in which all of this change takes place and so some of them kind of zoomed out zoomed out zoomed out and they're like okay we've got our life here on earth and then it seems like you've got the moon carving out another space beyond which we might be able to reason because there's heavenly bodies and we can observe their motions and they keep zooming out zooming out zooming out and they might say something like you know there's the fixed stars and the empyrean heavens things that you might have come across in reading dante or other medieval authors regardless not too terribly important but i think that again for our own practical application it helps us to to break out of a modern scientific mindset which says just give me the smallest parts just give me the smallest parts you know go from the words to the syllables go from the syllables to whatever the the least bit of phonation in fact is so that way i can know by just chuck 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 you know drilling down or zooming in and i think augustine is trying to reveal to us well maybe not as human beings we have to engage with time in a human way so we all recognize this at some level for instance if somebody were to ask me father gregory when exactly does the bread become the body of christ and i would say at some point in the midst of the speech act when the priest says you know this is my body it's like is it with the word this is it with the word is is it with the word my is it with the word body my inclination would be to say you know when that speech act is complete so at the end of the word body but it's not like at the period following the word body then it precisely takes place so if you skip the word is and just go straight to the period now it's like stop it we're asking the wrong questions because it's a speech act whereby the priest in persona christi says this is my body or like for instance somebody might ask you know father gregory i heard you tell a joke and the joke involved mild deception Do you, was that a lie you know are you guilty of a lie should you confess that is that a venial sin and I might say simply, that wasn't my intention to deceive. And it was a full speech act. I told a joke and it was like, knock, knock, who's there? You know, orange. And yes, I led the person to believe that there was going to be something after the word orange, which was illuminating and hilarious. And then I said, orange, you glad I didn't say blah, 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 and thus and such. Right. So, but that's a whole speech act. That's a joke. That's like a unit. That's a thing. And I think that St. Augustine is trying to get us to think about time in this way, that it's something that's addressed to us as human beings. It's something that characterizes our experience as human beings. And so we're going to have to, you know, like live our lives and experience our conversion in time in a way that's genuinely human. So the point isn't to become a kind of empirical scientist about what time is. The point is for us to become more human in our engagement with it so that we can profit from the graces which the Lord avails us of in the midst thereof. So yeah, those would just be some some further thoughts. Yeah, and it's that last, I mean, it's all of it, but you know, as your speech act was a whole thing. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's that last bit that Father Gregory was just saying it, that's particularly important for us, you know, in that the Lord creates, we know God creates. Augustine considered this a bit at the beginning of book 11, and he creates by his word. You know, this is why we're talking about speech and syllables. This is why this keeps coming up in a way. But he also creates us in time. It's not an accident that we exist and experience time. And it is in time, in the fullness of time, that Christ comes, but it's in time that we will be saved, um, that he offers his grace, his mercy. So it's not something that we just happen to experience that's divorced from anything. Um, in fact, it's just the opposite, that time and our existence in it, it's, it's sort of, it is the mode, it's the setting, it's the backdrop of our salvation of our existence, of our being recreated in grace. So the, to consider how do we experience all that is really, you know, a question of how, or how do we experience the whole of it, which includes 
Christ, the offer of grace, salvation, encounter with the Lord, all of it. So I think for Augustine, you know, he's, as I mentioned, and as as Father Gregory was explaining, there isn't going to be a scientific explanation and clear definition of what this is and how it passes and how it moves. You know, Augustine arrives here at the end at, at, the, at the point that he, he still doesn't really know how to measure time clearly. It's not subject, at least for him now, to a sort of scientific rigor that produces a kind of equation or something like that that he might that he might use. But he knows that he experiences time and he experiences things in time and his life in time. So yeah, we'll we'll carry on with St. Augustine in that experience on the next episode when he talks about his childhood and his life and his memory and these sort of things. So it kind of wraps up with, with those ideas of, of putting it back into reality, back into a sort of concrete experience of, of time, of its passing and of our, of his and our existing in it. So Stay tuned for next time. We will wrap up book 11 next time and and see Augustine's final thoughts on, on time for now. But in the meantime, know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics. 